Okay, welcome to Ordinary Takes, uh, episode five. Uh, Ordinary Takes is a joint production of ordinaryspace.org and teacheronthe-radio.com. Um, and I'm thrilled to be joined uh, uh, by my son, uh, Taylor Quinn, uh, and uh, especially our, our special guest, uh, one of our favorite writers, uh, Mark Russell. Um, Mark is the author of uh, the, the books, God is Disappointed in You and Apocrypha Now, uh, which are, um, well, what would you say, Mark? Are those um, uh, summaries of the, of, of the Bible? Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. They're sort of, the way I like to describe the God is Disappointed in You is that it's, it's the, the Bible as told to a drunk guy in a bar. It's because my, my theory is that you don't really understand anything unless you can explain it to somebody in a bar. Uh, so it's the Bible, very truncated, you know, every book of the Bible, about three or four pages explained very simply so that even somebody in a bar could understand. And Apocrypha now is the same concept, but it's about the, the non-canonical books of the Bible, the, the Judeo-Christian texts that didn't make it into the finished Bible. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, it, uh, Mark's writings have come to my uh, or our attention through his uh, first through his works uh, at uh, uh, DC Comics, uh, where he has written such titles as Perez, uh, The Flintstones, um, Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, uh, which uh, uh, I believe won the 2019 GLAAD Award uh, for Outstanding Comic. Uh, Wonder Twins, uh, as well as uh, I think a lot of uh, uh, short series runs for for DC as well that we may get into. Um, uh, for Ahoy Comics, he has written uh, Second Coming, uh, which we will we'll probably talk a good bit about today. A fantastic graphic novel. Um, it's um, it strikes me as sort of like uh, one of those in the buddy cop genre, uh, where uh, Jesus is is paired with uh, the the world's most powerful superhero uh, in sort of a, a mentorship uh, type uh, a relationship, um, and that has a a second uh, series coming out right now. Uh, there was a I think the original was a six issue run, uh, and uh, the first issue of Second Coming, Only Begotten Son, has just come out. Um, and then also for Ahoy Comics was a Billionaire Island. Um, Mark, I first, uh, I think I first encountered your work through uh, through reading Prez. Um, I remember the the original Prez uh, when I was growing up, which was a a, a wacky, baffling. Uh, You're probably one of the few people who has actually read both both versions. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know your um, uh, uh, Prez for the, those of you, you who have read Mark. Rick, I'm so sorry. You guys went completely dark on my screen. I'm going to scroll back off again. My bad. Um, the, the the connection has been restored. Okay. Um, uh, but your run on Prez, uh, uh, which I believe was, was that 2016? Uh, 2015. 2015. The idea was that it was going to go to 2016. That it was going to run up to the election. But it didn't make it that far. It got canceled after six issues, so it was only half the run we were intending. Uh, so it was pretty much just 2015, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was a, a fantastic book um, with with what, what now seems like a completely unplausible um, uh, plot line, where you have a a, a, a social media phenomenon uh, stumble into the presidency 
in the midst of a uh, a global pandemic. I mean, yeah, but, no, that was uh, that was, at the time it was when I imagined an amateur in the White House might be a good thing. <laughs> um, and then I, uh, the um, uh, Taylor and I have um, have uh, we we have a um, a weekly uh, comic book uh, club that we do over uh, Google Meet uh, with some folks where we read different things every every week and and we've uh, the group has read press they've read the Flintstones um, and and have really enjoyed it um, but anyway uh, Taylor I just want to kick it over to you to say whatever you want to say and then and then kind of start off with our our first question right right. Yeah, I, I had first uh, kind of been tuned into your stuff by, um, I actually uh, uh, follow this kind of internet personality slash um, humorist uh, writer, Sean Baby, and he tweeted out, has anyone else noticed that the DC run of Prez is really great? The new Prez is really great, and... That was back in 2015, so, you know, this, this this was after, like, two issues, I think, had come out. Um, and then my dad's like, hey, you got to check out th this Flintstones comic. And I'm like, I don't know, th th this Hanna-Barbera reboot stuff seems kind of it Sounds stupid. like a bad idea. Yeah, it I, sounds, I, sounds I, like a... I know. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. And he's like, no, trust me. So I read it, and then... I, uh, I, it became one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, since then, we've been following all sorts of uh, stuff you've, you've written. Um, I have signed up for a lot of stuff because I, I work at a comic book store, so I, I get holds there, uh, which, which predated me working there. But uh, I think that Wonder Twins number two, I said, was one of, my favorite single issues I've ever read. Why, thank you. Yeah, I think it's probably the only one about, like, the only comic for teens about the prison industrial complex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I, was, I was just blown away by, by, by some of the stuff I read in Wonder Twins. It was really great stuff. But uh, I'd, I'd like to address uh, Second Coming, since that's uh, the most current comic you have coming out right now. I know we've got Superman uh, Imperious Lex for Future State on the horizon, but uh, so when when you first came up with the idea of creating Second Coming, did you did you write that because you just like hate mail or <laughs> you, you decided that um, you know who's really got a tough hide? Uh, evangelicals, they, they can really take a few jabs. Well, I, I um, probably should have known this was going to cause some trouble when I was pitching it, because originally I was pitching it to, to DC as a Superman comic, and they were like, not not on your life. Uh, it, you know, we get death threats when Superman fails to say the Pledge of Allegiance. There's no way we're touching this. But they said, but we like the idea, and if you want to pitch it as a creator-owned thing with your own hero, we'd be happy to publish it as a Vertigo title, because that was, you know, where they published Preacher and, and Hellblazer and Sandman and other titles that might have been considered controversial in the past. So I said, that, that that sounds fine to me. And actually, it was a good move because it was liberating. It wouldn't have done to have two 
you know, equally nice guys sort of buddying up like Superman and Jesus. So it was good to make the uh, superhero more of a crank. But yeah, that should be my first clue that maybe this is going to going to create a little more controversy than I had originally intended, which I, I thought that, you know, maybe people would be a little skeptical, maybe would like look at it with the side eye. But then once they actually read it and saw what I was doing, they would they would be okay. They, they wouldn't be as upset. Same with like God is disappointed in you. It's like most of the people who really like the book were actually Christians, were people who um, wanted to know what was in the Bible, and but you know wanted the uh, wanted the the fifty cent version, not the you know the, the four years of seminary version. So I figured that the, this would be kind of the same audience for Second Coming. But the problem, the difference between writing a book and writing a comic is that people form opinions about a comic book before, you know, months before it even comes out. Uh, whereas a book, nobody, it's like a, you know, a monolith. Nobody really knows what it, what it's doing or what it's there for. Maybe they just don't care and, until after they've read it. Comics, people develop, you know, decide whether they love or hate it the moment it's announced. So I think people decided initially that they they hated it or they decided what they they thought it was going to be but i'm but i'm gratified by the fact that since it's come out people have sort of come around it's like the controversy has pretty much evaporated since it's actually come out and people have had a chance to read it for themselves in a way the controversy kind of helped because it got a lot of people who probably wouldn't have read the comic to begin with to to hate it and even if they start out hate you know hate reading it that's okay yeah all i all i ask is that you give me a shot you give me a chance and and read the comic and see what I'm trying to say with it. Yeah, I thought it was a, uh, a great move that um, that you did with the Ahoy, uh, uh, having the the letters from from folks uh, at the end of, of of each episode. I mean, of each issue, um, and you know, uh, uh, not all of them were uh, uh, were were laudatory, or there were some that, that, that talked about how their mind was changed. Um, yeah, and it, in either way, it's fine. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to start a cult or anything. I, what I want is for people to just think about these things. To, to yeah. You know, they're, they're, to ask these questions in their own mind. Their answers may be completely different than the answers I've come up with in my mind. But we need to, you know, think about the things that are most central to who we are. Yeah. 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 And that reminds me, I wanted to, to ask you about... Um, what it's like to be an artist in uh, in a time like this, and and since since you agreed uh, to since you and I communicated and you agreed to do this, I mean we've seen even even wilder and more violent stuff uh, in mm -hmm. in our um, it, it's it's a troubling time for for our nation uh, for for the world, um, and I think we'd like to hear your thoughts about. I think um, the feed got frozen. I think the feed got frozen. Hey, Mark, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear uh, you. Taylor, are you there? Rick, are you there? I haven't read your work well enough to study it, uh, to ask a good question. Um, We've been having un unstable internet on and off throughout the call. Rick, you and Taylor just went completely bye-bye again. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, um, okay. uh, Rick, just for the future, maybe, I don't know, Matt, uh, booster, maybe you and, you and Taylor can go in together on, on a booster for your uh, 
for your internet over there at the house, like a real booster for your room. So you've got like Wi-Fi into your earlobe there. Mark yeah. Wick was in the middle of a great question and everybody, um, this is like a commercial interruption. You're listening to Ordinary Takes number five, a co-production of teacheronthradio.com and ordinaryspace.org. Your hosts today are Rick Quinn and Taylor Quinn. I'm the sometimes co-host Andrew Smith, but uh, I'm not, uh, I'm out of my league, out of my justice league, so to speak, uh, with this uh, comics chat. So I'm going to, I'm going to duck off. I think uh, Rick and Taylor have, uh, have had their internet feed restored. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh yeah, no problem. What, what was the question again? Yeah, I was going to ask you I, I, and and just uh, uh, quote you uh, uh, on a couple things. Uh, one in your own voice from the the forward to Second Coming, uh, and then uh, a second in the uh, the voice of Snagglepuss. Um, but uh, I'm not going to try to do Snagglepuss's voice. Uh, That's probably for the way. best. It, it's hard <laughs> hard to pull off. It really is. Um, but in your forward to second coming, you said the great problems confronting the world today will not be solved by laying down more barbed wire or simply fitting, finding new ways to punch people harder than ever before. All I know is, as weird as the answers may seem, the questions these comics attempt to answer are important. And as professional thought experimenters, that's our duty to the world. We blaspheme, not to belittle the faith of millions, but to offer the world something new. Um, and, um, you know, and then at, at near the end, I think of, 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 of exit stage left, uh, Snagglepuss uh, is, is talking to Augie Doggy and says, our world is a maelstrom of disaster and only a fool believes a happy ending awaits. But through our stories, we find connections to each other. Reassurance, not that everything will turn out for the best, but that whatever happens, we will face it together. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I, those things really grabbed me. And I, I, I'd really be interested to, to hear what your thoughts are. Maybe, maybe they're changing in real time about what, you know, what it means for, for you as an artist, as a writer, um, uh, in, in the midst of, of what we see going on around us. Well, I think one of the reasons why the uh, the attack on the Capitol resonates with us in a way like other political violence doesn't is that it's an attack on the process. It's an attack on the very nature of democratic self-government as opposed to attack on an institution. Um, and, and I think this is the thing when I'm, I say, well, whatever, whatever the problems are, we get through it together that we may disagree. We may have different opinions on things, but we, but we trust the process of being able to discuss and solve problems nonviolently, uh, being able to trust each other to like have each other's best interests at heart. And if it's an attack on that process that we really have to worry about, it's an attack on the idea that we can uh, live in peace and, 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 and come to solutions through talking and debate. That's the real tyranny that I fear, not, you know, one person's politics versus another person's politics. It's the attempt to destroy the process by which people with different politics or different faiths can coexist. Can you say a little more on, on that idea of, of um, maybe blasphemy um, and, and, and blasphemy in, 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 a, um, in a good or creative or generative yeah. Way. Well, I, th I think it's important to remember that the uh, the uh, 
you know, authors of the New Testament were themselves blasphemers. In fact, some of them were, were murdered for, for blasphemy. Um, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was martyred basically for blasphemy, for going into the middle of Jerusalem and saying that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and, and uh, you know, that they, they, they had to change the, uh, the traditions of the faith that, you know, had been practiced that way for hundreds of years. And so anybody with a new opinion is essentially a blasphemer. And that doesn't that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have new opinions. That doesn't mean that a faith shouldn't change, because um, as as Christ said in the book of Matthew, uh, man was not created to serve the Sabbath. Sabbath was created to serve man. So our institutions, our religions, aren't really worth anything if they aren't adapting to serve the needs of the society that is that is using them so we need to be blaspheming we need to be questioning whether or not the faith needs an update whether or not our beliefs are serving us or whether we're serving them and i think only by asking those questions do we make religion uh fulfill the promise of giving us a spiritual connection to the universe and making us feel that we belong otherwise if we're just following a tradition for the sake of, a, of being a tradition it's us serving that faith, not it serving us. And it's, and the fact that it's not giving us what we need and making us feel connected to the universe, making us feel like we have, that our existence was a mistake. It's going to fill us with bitterness and anger. And I think we see a lot of that now where people who aren't having their spiritual needs met by their religion turn to things like, like terrorism and nationalism. They look for other avenues to give them that sense of purpose and belonging. And, and also to make sense of the anger and the, the bitterness they feel by by virtue of having been betrayed by the institutions they look to to um to give them meaning taylor you look like you have something on your mind <laughs> uh i i i i did have uh something yeah um you you kind of touched on it a little bit um with with how trying these times are and like, I've uh, I'll go back to um, what might possibly be my favorite book of 2020, and then Billionaire Island. Um, and I'll pull an example from Second Coming, Only Begotten Son, as well. There, there's some times where you really like cut to the 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 truth of the matter and it, it's done in a very humorous way but uh for, for me the the moment that stuck out was when they're doing the flashback segment and they're deciding what they want to name the island and the one guy in the wheelchair suggests let's call it billionaire island and the other two are, are like that's a terrible name you can't name it that and the and the, uh, the the Zuckerberg figure, um, at least I took him to be a Zuckerberg figure, uh, he says, you, you can't call it that. That's going to throw, that's going to put people off. What you got to do is you got to name it something that makes it seem like it's for everyone. Something that makes a Midwestern farmer think he can get behind it, think he can get there. Something like Freedom Unlimited. And I was like, whoa, that really nailed it. But there, there have been times when it's like just like an uncomfortable truth that, I, uh, that, that some of your stuff has, has forced me to, 
to confront some some stuff I wasn't ready that I've I've read uh, in, in some of it. And do you ever find it like hard to confront the the harshness of these things with kind of like this open warmth of humor? I feel like that's how I do confront the harshness of things. I feel like that's how I kind of save myself from the harshness is like finding something funny about it. And um, ironically, you know, I think, I think the way to make something like that funny is by just getting to the truth as quickly as possible. Um, There's a George Saunders quote, which has kind of become my guiding light when writing. And it's like, uh, humor is just the truth quicker than you expected it. And I think that's kind of like, my philosophy in writing is that if you're looking for the humor in something, just boil it down to what it is. If you didn't have to be polite or diplomatic about it. And it's usually pretty funny too. All right. Yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I also kind of use humor to cope with good things, but uh, so, some of the stuff I've, I've seen recently, it's just been like, is, is anything even funny anymore? Um, yeah. And, and there's there's always a lighter side to stuff, but I I just didn't know if you uh you ever struggled with that creatively. Yeah, no, for me the humor doesn't even come from finding the lighter side; it comes from finding the heavier side, and that's where I find the humor because I, you know, uh, I read once that 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 we evolved the ability to laugh as a means of signifying to each other the passage of danger, like like you turn around a corner and there's a giant bear. But the bear doesn't see you. The bear is like eating berries or picking flowers and the bear just like walks away and you laugh because you almost died. Um, and, but, the, but the bear didn't see you. So it's OK. And I think that in a lot of ways, the severity of the situation, the, 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 the ominous nature of the danger is kind of what makes it funny. It allows us to sort of reassure each other that we we can get through this. And the more reassuring that is, I think the, the funnier it becomes. There is a um, there's a thread um, a theme of of the power of human connection in in your work that I that I see. Um, it's one of the things that I that I loved about the Flintstones. I, I said that Taylor and I had done it in a, a comic book club, but I also several years back I was in a uh, a book group with uh, some. Progressive ministers who were about my age, uh, up to uh, their mid to late seventies, and each each one of us would pick something to, to, to read to offer to the group, uh, mostly nonfiction, some some fiction. But uh, I, I said, I've, I've got I've got a pitch for you. It's going to be a little outside the box, but uh, you've got to read this this book uh, about the Flintstones, uh, and they did, and they loved it. Uh, that's uh, the way that, that that you handle the the sort of the history of the development of religion uh, in uh, in uh, the, the prehistoric uh, uh, days. But um, uh, again, uh, going back to to Exodus Left and Snagglepost, when he he talks about the purpose of his plays is to admire people in their broken complexity. Um, I was reading that again. I, I I thought that's what that's what drew me to your your version of Fred Flintstone. Um, uh, there, there's something, um, there's something real, uh, broken but admirable uh, uh, about him. Um, 
Well, thanks. Yeah, I think when you're writing a title, and, and I was never really big Flintstones fan, but the thing I liked about the Flintstones, uh, you know, was I liked the the little animal appliances, and I liked yes. the fact that Fred Flintstone was the uh, sort of an everyman. I liked the fact mm -hmm. that he was kind of like just this this flawed normal guy, and so I think when you're writing a title, especially a title that you don't own, you can't do anything you want with because it's a pre-existing property. I think the secret is to build your your story around what you like about it and for me those were the two things i i really liked about the flintstones so that's what i built the story around the fact that like fred kind of represents us all in a way and he has like a, he's he's not perfect yet he, he's like subject to a lot of the same foibles as the rest of us and then also the that the um everyone seems to like blithely ignore the 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 uh slavery under the sink you know the, the suffering that they've caused all around them just by virtue of like their the conveniences of modern life which you know we do too i mean i don't mm -hmm. think about who ha who had to build my you know put together my iphone and you know what their life is like so in a way we've all got like a um a pig living under the sink you know we just expect to eat our trash without thinking about it yeah uh, yeah. Now, and without any spoilers for those who haven't read Flintstones, I'll just, I'll just say this, uh, uh, Mark, you made me cry over a vacuum cleaner. Um, yeah, no, I, I figured that that's probably my greatest literary accomplishment is that I made people feel emotions for like a vacuum cleaner and a bowling ball. Uh, um, just uh, a reminder to those who might be joining us uh, right now, you are uh, watching and listening to Ordinary Takes number five, uh, which is a joint production of OrdinarySpace.org and TeacherOnTheRadio.com. We are uh, thrilled to be talking with Mark Russell, uh, a writer and creative today. Um, uh, you, uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter, and, and I will just say, uh, and, and I think Taylor would agree with me, Mark is, is an exceptional follow on Twitter. Um, uh, uh, you can follow him at, at manrus, M-A-N-R-U-S-S. -S. Like a walrus, but a man. <laughs> I, uh, I have a bit of a, a, of a an oddball question here. Um, and I, I swear this, this makes sense. Do you do ad copy for Alex Jones? No. Because <laughs> I, I, I was... No, it sounds like a sweet gig, though. <laughs> I was uh, I was watching uh, or I saw I don't watch Alex Jones's garbage, but I saw a, a, a video of his. You know how he'll always end his videos by promoting his snake oil or, or right. whatever it is he's selling on Infowars.com. His man Yeah, yeah, and it's th this was around when Billionaire Island was coming out to to give you an idea of where my head was when I saw this and I'm paraphrasing here he's he said is your liberal city overwhelmed by the smell of homeless urination uh, that's not the words he used but I, I am yeah. paraphrasing and he's talking about how all these people clogging up the streets and peeing in the streets and they have this sickeningly sweet smell and the dust might and it makes you sick so you gotta buy Alex Jones snake oil to heal yourself from from the liberal pee stench and I'm I'm like is this a continuation of Billionaire Island am I dreaming right now 
Because <laughs> this seems like it just could have flown right off the page there. Yeah, no, uh, the character, uh, some angry guy on a motorcycle is largely based on like these sort of faux populists like Alec Jones, Alex Jones and Sean Hannity, people who try to come off as like a, a real blue collar Joe, but are in fact like, you know, billionaires under the, in the employment of billionaires. Yeah. I, I did really love uh, the, the introduction of that character. Um, but yeah, it, I, I thought that uh, a lot of the stuff you, you cut to with that one was really, really good. Um, maybe not the most hopeful view of the world. But no. It's the, probably the darkest thing I've ever written, I think. Uh, the least hopeful. Which we're working on it. We're, we're planning a sequel to uh, Billionaire Island uh, later in 2021. And that was kind of my take is that if I do write a sequel, I want it to be somewhat more hopeful because I feel like Billionaire Island, I mean every word that I wrote in Billionaire Island, I don't take a word of it back, but it ends on sort of a very a, a pretty bleak note. And um, I think it's just as important in pointing out the flaws in society and what's wrong with it. It's just sort of whining unless you're also willing to sort of give people a suggestion of what, how it could be better, of what we should be doing. I, I saw that book as almost a spiritual successor to the Flintstones. Was that intentional on, on yeah. your part? It sort of worked out that way um, in part because Steve Pugh, who did the art on the Flintstones and Chris Chuckery who did the colors, both came on board for Billionaire Island. And that was kind of the way I, I, I started to approach it. It was like, like um, the Flintstones tells the story of the birth of civilization and Billionaire Island kind of tells the story of the death of civilization. Although civilization doesn't quite die. And that's kind of working on the, uh, in the sequel is like, how does civilization survive this? Yeah. In, in thinking of those themes, what do you see um, as the role of, of religion in, um, in the midst of the, these, you know, catastrophic or apocalyptic times, is it, um, I mean, there's a case that can be made that it's, that it's, it's a force for destruction. Um, uh, you know, we saw the, the melding of religion, uh, of a certain form of, of Christian nationalism and, um, uh, and authoritarianism that, that manifested sure. itself, you know, uh, last week and, and well before, um, I, I don't think it's inherently a force of destruction. I think like everything else, it's sort of a Rorschach test. And if you are a destructive person, that's what you'll see when you look at your faith. And when, and if you're not, if you're somebody who wants to, you know, build healing in the world, that's what you will see when you look at your faith. And I think that the ideal role of religion is not something is not, is not an institutional one where it's like we all belong to the same faith and we all do the same thing and we act in unison. It's not to create this, this army of like-minded people. It's more an individual role. It's about what makes you feel as a person that you have a place in the universe. What makes you feel like your existence wasn't a mistake and whatever the answer is to that question, that's actually your religion, not what you were brought up with, not, you know, what, what, you know, you go through the ritual of observing, your life but what actually makes you feel like like you belong here in the universe and i think that's the way people should approach religion is like as a, as a individual spiritual journey not as some like you know collective call to arms and i think that's part of the problem is that people they are are looking to the wrong things for the 
sort of this, this spiritual sense of belonging. And when you they don't have that individual sense of like, yes, this is what makes me feel fulfilled. This is what makes me feel complete. Then they sort of fill that void with, uh, you know, Nuremberg rallies with just surrounding themselves with so many people that, that that's what they feel connected to. They feel connected to this, this mass of grievance or, you know, anger. And so I think religion, when it fulfills its properly role of making you feel like you, you have purpose and you have, um, belonging. And I think that also sort of gives you a, a, a much more positive view of the rest of humanity because you think that, well, this person has a place too. This person has, has their own meaning in their life and I need to respect that. If you don't have that and you feel like all there is is this sort of Nuremberg mentality where it's like I'm part of an army and, and, and we're surrounded by enemies, uh, then your approach to humanity is going to be much more negative. And and you see you will see life as basically a, a fight to the death, which is I think where we are now. I think is where what's pro the problem is that there's so many people who define their identity uh, based upon their 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 hatred of others. They're feeling besieged and begrieved by other people who have nothing to do with their lives. I call that screw you politics. That yeah. they, they define their entire existence around the idea of screw you. Yeah, and I think it's been, it's become enormously lucrative for politicians uh, who do not offer you anything that's actually in your own interest. They're not going to like make it easier for your, you to send your kids to school or make it easier for you to get health care. The one thing, the, the one thing that's even more powerful than that, that they can get you to vote for them on, this is they're not doing you any favors, is playing into your sense of grievance, like saying that they hate this other group as much as you do, or that we've got to band together to defend ourselves from, you know, these, these cannibalistic Canadians or, you know, or illegals streaming over the border looking, you know, for your, your fruit punch, you know, it's, uh, they, the reason they play into these grievances because it's a way for them to convince people to vote for them other than actually the success of their policies. In one of our earlier Ordinary Takes episodes, we were uh, talking with with folks about their, their best um, uh, listens uh, or albums of, of, of 2020. And that reminded me, one, one of the ones that I had on my, on my top 10 was the um, the drive by truckers, the unraveling, uh, which was kind of sort of uh, a uh, an, a raw and honest look at where we are uh, in in America. And one of their songs on there is is called "Grievance Merchants," which is it, it's basically a uh, they they give voice to these. Well, in the song, it's about uh, disaffected white male youth uh, and. And the ways in which these merchants, uh, and we could probably fill in tons of names there, uh, both prey on and and develop, enhance in, yeah. in 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 their audience a sense of grievance. You know that uh, uh, they take whatever might be a common human suffering that we all feel, but but tell them this is happening to you because of X or Y. You know they're doing it to you. So you've got to do something about it, um, right? And sort of, and they, they and they don't and they see these people as like cannon fodder. They're good for like sending them donations, and they're good for sending off right. to fight the wars they themselves are unwilling to fight. And that's all they that's all these people really 
represent to them. And it's that's the real tragedy. These people imagine they, they are serving something bigger than themselves and that these leaders actually care about them. But, you know, like when, when Trump gave his speech before they stormed the Capitol, said, I'm going to be marching with you. And when Mo Brooks told them that you need to go kick some ass and Rudy Giuliani's like, this is a trial of combat. None of those guys were actually at the, the Capitol, like suffering the consequences with them. They all went home to watch it on TV, watch it unfold. Right. They're the ones setting the chaos in motion. Uh, not the ones dealing with the consequences. And now a lot of these people, dozens of people who are, you know, basically just following orders or thought they were were doing the right thing, their lives are ruined now. They're being rounded up by the FBI. They're on no-fly lists. They're probably, they're getting fired. And they're probably not going to be able to work in like a regular industry ever again. And it's because they, their, their one mistake was following somebody who, caring about somebody who did not care about them. You know, yeah. thinking that they were, they were they were on they were on a mission of righteousness when they were really just allowing themselves to be used as cannon fodder. And I think that's the biggest sort of single danger in the world today is people signing up for these sorts of uh, death missions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's it's it has been fascinating and troubling to me uh, this strong belief that that these that these folks who are like you said are using folks as cannon fodder. There's this there's this belief in a lot of, of, of their followers that, that that these figures like the president love them, yeah, um, and and have their best interest at, at heart. Um, well, it doesn't hurt when he says, "We love you. You're very special." Yeah, because all it costs them is saying that he doesn't have to actually like endure the consequences that they do. He's not. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. oh, he, he potentially could be locked up, but, he, but I'm sure he's not thinking that he's going to be. Uh, he's thinking that he's going to get what he wants, which is, you know, uh, more power uh, at the expense of like these these you know, hundreds of people that stormed the Capitol in effect uh, in an attempt to murder the Congress on his behalf. And, you know, he, I, I heard recently that he's, he's not going to be issuing any more pardons, which means that all these people that are being charged with crimes, seditious crimes on his behalf, did it, you know, with, without any, he, he can't even bother be bothered to pardon them, even though they, they, they did it on his order. So I, I think he, these people don't mean, and this is the way most cult leaders, I think, operate is like, they they see their their relationship with their cult members as transactional, and when you can you no longer have anything to give them, then they don't you no longer mean anything to them. It's like all they represented was this this brief burst of rage and fury uh, to throw themselves on the ramparts of the Capitol, and now that they've given him that. He's got no further business with them. He's going to let them right. leave them to hang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I likened him to uh, or to, to to saddling yourself to him as uh, working for the Joker. You know you're, that he's gonna. You have to know that he's gonna turn on you for some stupid reason eventually. Yeah, nobody nobody gets you know their their retirement plan from the Joker. You know he never <laughs> nobody retires on a six figure income working for the Joker. They will will eventually be killed. <laughs> uh, like you're either stupid or greedy. That's why you. You saddle yourself to them. Yeah. Or, or well, a million people who are brainwashed. Well, well, I, I think Mark touched on it earlier. There, there, there is a disconnection in our society that, that folks are, are seeking to feel in, in some of these things. Maybe in, maybe in the wrong direction. But, 
Right. You know, they're trying to satisfy a, a hole within themselves that hasn't been satisfied by their, you know, their faith or their um, their own accomplishments or other sources of satisfaction. The, the, mm -hmm. the making of the ways in which the rest of us feel like we have a place in the world and and this is that life is good for one reason or another. The people who join these sort of mass movements don't have that. The people who are willing to throw their bodies on the barricade for a lie, for you know, or or, or bury themselves in conspiracy theories—that's what they're trying to get from what they're not getting from their lives, and it's it's incredibly sad uh, because that make it makes them because there's always a charlatan and a conman there ready to take advantage of that. You you mentioned finding um, finding your place you know, uh, in the world and, and being at peace with everything. And uh, that that's something I picked up on when I was uh, reading the Flintstones. At the end of that, I, I think it was Pebbles is with the, the pastor there. And she's like, well, do you really have the answers to all this? And he's like, no, but we're offering people uh, a way to, to find unity and peace in their world, and if if that's a service that we can provide, then that's good. Yeah, it's it's about the you know the issue kind of frames it as like this is religion versus science, but the resolution is that like no, it's really it's got to be religion and science. It's like they they both are answers to different questions. Science answers the questions about what is out there in the universe, and, and religion answers the question well, what's about what's that inside my soul, and uh, and 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 really both are sort of like a process of guesswork. In science, you put forth hypotheses, which you then test to, to construct theories, and then you you know you change the theory as evidence confirms or contradicts it. It's a process, in the same way that like like faith is a process. You you think you know you want one thing with your soul, or some, something's going to give you meaning, but it doesn't, or it fades, and so you try something else. But you need you can't just accept the first answer that comes along. You have to begin this process of trial and error of discovering who you are as a, as a, as a person. This is what the the Gnostic Christians believed in, in a lot of ways. They they believed that you um, your your goal in life was to ready yourself as a spirit, so that when you died and your earthly body was no more, you were prepared to live in the spiritual realm. You weren't shocked to be a spirit find, suddenly finding yourself in the spiritual realm, and the way you did that was by beginning to live a more spiritually fulfilling life, and that when you got to, when you grew up as a as a spiritual being that god would give you revelations because you're ready for them and i think that in a lot of ways that's the way spirituality actually works is that the more you sort of um look look within yourself to what who you are and what in what you uh and what makes you feel like you have a, a place in the world the more these answers will become to define your being and the less susceptible you will be to somebody else coming up with those answers for you and it seems in in your your work, and, and correct me if, if I'm reading this wrong, that 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 quest, whether it's uh, uh, you know what um, uh, happens in the interaction between Jesus and Sunstar in in Second Coming, or uh, uh, Fred and Wilma during the the, the Flintstones, uh, is that that quest seems to lead to a stronger sense of human connection, 
Yeah, I think it is because once once you f see how how wonderful life is and how you you feel like how the immensity of uh, you know, of awe of realizing that you're a, maybe just a small part in this universe, but you're part of it. You're part of something uh, you know unimaginably large and meaningful. That it's hard not to recognize that other, other people share the same value. Um, I know we're we're, we're approaching uh, two thirty, which is when I, I, I promised you we'd, we'd be through with this. But uh, I was wondering if I could uh, ask you a question in um, in relation to uh, not only Mina Taylor's interest in in your work as as comic fans, but also the way in which uh, your work has been an interest for for. Uh, uh, our uh, mine and Andrew's um, uh, zine, which is on the intersection of popular culture, religion, social justice. Uh, the um, and I wanted again juxtapose a couple of things. Uh, again, you're you, uh, you voicing uh, Snagglepuss uh, in Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, and it reminded me of a uh, some lyrics from. Uh, a U2 song uh, from their pop album. Um, Andrew and I uh, met about eight years ago or so and bonded over a U2 fandom and just had gone uh, from there. But uh, uh, was was talking about the role of popular culture uh, and, and what it, it, it plays, uh, a positive role it plays. So popular culture gives our fanaticism somewhere pleasant to go. Exactly. Without show, yeah, without show business, politics steps in to fill the void, and that's when the world goes to hell. Um, and it reminded me that the, the, the lyric that pops in my head is from UT's, uh "If God Will Send His Angels," um, and the the uh, there Bono's voicing Jesus never let me down. You know, Jesus used to show me the score. Then they put Jesus in show business. Now it's hard to get in the door. Um, you know. Uh, the sort of commodification of things. And, and I think, you know, you know, I was joking earlier about the prescience of, of press, but I mean, you know, what we've seen is, and it's not new, it's just sort of the apotheosis maybe is, is politics as show business. You're right. Yeah. No, I think it's incredibly dangerous. I think, I think even deeper than that is like, there's at, at some point we, I think, I think the point in which the country started going to hell, if you had to like come up with one is when like, the, you started having this uh, expecting news to make money where, you know, the, um, it used to be like when I was a kid, the network news was, you know, always the least profitable, sometimes unprofitable part of like a, a TV network or something, but they were there basically just as a public service to like, we're going to talk about the important things of the day and we're going to talk about it factually. And then liberal or conservative, you you know, these are the playing cards that you will play with. Everyone gets dealt the same cards and now you can, you can debate whether or not this, this means that we need a, a, a liberal approach to this, this issue or a conservative approach, but we all recognize the same facts. And then when like news became more entertainment, when it became, you know, they, people would, not only would the news networks like um, talk about completely different subjects, you know, uh, and, and fuel people's sense of talk about subjects which more set in line with people's personal sense of grievance and danger than than with reality or what was actually happening that was important in the world. But a lot of times they just had people on that would just spout off nonsense, just you know, conspiracy theory or just garbage 
to because they knew that 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 people were going to be more entertained by it. People were going to come back and watch again, and I think that's when the country started going to hell when we started expecting more entertainment from news than the news. Yeah, sometimes I think it, it is um, hard to underestimate what, uh, and maybe even see it, what uh, Ted Turner and others uh, uh, rock, you know. And you could probably make the same argument about religion, that the, the mega church and, you know, yeah. it's, it's like kind of what was the beginning of the end for mainstream Protestant Christianity mm -hmm. in the United States, because it became more about like, um, you know, what what's going to ring the, the collection plate faster what's going to you know talk about what's going to get people like fired up to uh give us money and and, and vote the, for the, the candidates who are giving us money and you know it became more of like um a, an industry based upon like rage it became like professional wrestling in a lot of ways where you have to have the bad guy it gets everyone pissed off and then everyone goes out and buys the austin 316 t-shirt you know it, i think in a lot of ways that's what the, the mega churches were based on that was the other sort of you know, um, industry that 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 they that they learned from was like from professional wrestling. And they they gradually and even the arenas, even the mega churches look like you know WWE like wrestling arenas. It's like I think this is really what they did. They just tried to copy professional wrestling as a as a commercial model. <laughs> That's great, and, and I think that brings us back full circle to um, one of the things that I that I think Taylor and I enjoyed about Second Coming is seeing the, the the reactions of Jesus back on earth and he's he's kind of seeing firsthand uh, in, in in your book uh, what's happened to his movement uh, since uh, since he was on the earth before and so I want to give you uh, an opportunity to kind of uh, give us a sense of um, uh, where the story might be going I know that that, that, that uh, second coming only begotten son uh, the first issue came out um, and was great but uh, and we're uh, we're eagerly anticipating uh, what's coming next, but but how do you see the story developing? Well, the second series flushes out the world that of the comic more because we didn't get a lot of spend a lot of time on the world building the first one because it was so plot heavy the first uh, series. Uh, so we spend more time world building, and also it's it's more about the consequences of uh, both of the both Sunstar and Christ's past, like um, about how the, the 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 pitfalls and dangers of, of of trying to get a small cadre of followers to to spread your teachings in christ's um in christ's case and then with sunstar it's about like the fact that he's devoted so much of his life to like um suppressing villains and using violence to solve his problems that now he's got like all these people that are you know grudges against him all these people that are looking to take him down and we're all kind of stuck in the, the, the line of fire. So it explores that like sort of the consequences of mistakes in the past and how hard it is to overcome them. But we also get to see more in heaven. We get to see more how heaven operates and, you know, God comes back as a character. So without giving too much away, there's, there's, there's a lot going on in the second season. Oh, we look forward to it. Uh, you know, I, that, that first issue was pretty strong, though. Thank you. Maybe. Yeah, it was uh, the origin story of, of the Superman mm -hmm. origin story that you never thought you'd read. I th There was one part in there where you, like, really struck at the heart uh, of something I wasn't prepared to confront at that moment, which is when uh, when his dad says, 
money is an illusion. Everything is paid for in time. And I, I was like, whoa, I'm, that's deep. Yeah, where do you think the money comes from? <laughs> oh, I, I know the where the money comes from because yeah. I'll I'll be working like overtime and stuff. I, I bet. To, yeah. To afford uh to, to afford things that I don't get to use because I'm too busy plotting out my schedule to work more hours. Yeah, that's essentially <laughs> what life is. Now. Trading time for stuff. Well, Mark, I, again, I want to thank you uh, for several things. One, for for your work and art. It's 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 fantastic. It it has moved me, continues to move me, and I I've become sort of both Taylor and I are, are evangelists for uh, your uh, your your writing. Um, well, so, thank you. You're not getting a commission, but I but I thank you. No, no, no. That was that was that was either a compliment or a warning to you. I don't, I don't I, take it however however you want. So. Um, Maybe we're building this cult of, of Russell uh, here well, in the middle of Tennessee. So. People are bound to be disappointed in that cult, but I, but I thank you nonetheless. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and like I said, we are, we are in uh, 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 middle Tennessee, and uh, I, I really I don't want to close without uh, making one more connection to you. Uh, I know you've got the, your crystal ball hidden somewhere. I, I, I don't know where it is, but um, but you know, Taylor and I uh, laughed out loud. Seriously, laughed out loud when uh, the president uh, uh, in Billionaire Island uh, uh, represented uh, sort of a, a, a stringy, greasy-haired uh, uh, rocker uh, that that is, has come to reside here in Middle Tennessee. And and I don't know if you you know, I, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of the the zip tie guy in the yeah. Right, that guy worked at like the uh, the Kid Rock Honky Tonk Bar, right? Kid, yeah, Kid Rock's big ass, uh, the big ass honky, not not the little ass honky tonk. Not the little ass, no. Completely different uh, business. No, no, we don't do anything small. Uh, no, down here. I'm, I'm honestly waiting for the news story to break where he was taking like Kid Rock's direct orders. <laughs> yeah, well, his big plan was to bring back a congressperson and get a promotion. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Well, we're we're gonna wrap this uh, this fifth episode of Ordinary Takes up. Uh, just remind you that it's, it's a joint venture of uh, OrdinarySpace.org and TeacherOnTheRadio.com. We have been honored uh, to have uh, Mark Russell to to spend an hour just chatting about life, politics, religion. Uh, and the power of, of, of art in, in comics. It's been it's been uh, a thrill. I'll just throw this in for those of you who might be in the, the Nashville, Middle Tennessee area. Taylor mentioned that he works at a comic store, so you can go to The Great Escape uh, in uh, Madison, Tennessee, and request or, or order uh, uh, Mark's work as well as others. Am I saying that right, Taylor? That is correct, yes. Uh, we can... We can get trades of pretty much anything. Um, that's uh, I, I got you the the second coming one, even though we already had all the issues. Yes, because no. I'm too lazy to dig them up out of my long box. <laughs> I d- well, well, thank you so much anyway. for having me. This was great. I had had a good time. We thank we really appreciate you sitting down to talk with us. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> 
kind of a big deal for us. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we'll be we'll we'll share that link with with you later, Mark, when it's up on um, on Spotify. But but thank you again. Uh, yeah. And thanks for for all of you who've who've joined us today. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.